Welcome to the Triple Option Pass with Ryan Gregory and Devin Voss, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Past podcast, part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. I am your host, Ryan Gregory, here with my co-host, Devin Voss. Devin, how are we feeling today, buddy? Pretty good, pretty amps. Love some coaching changes. Love some college football playoff talk that is not equivalent to our roundup. So should be a good one. Yeah, and so for any of you uh, blah, blah. For any of our fans listening out there, um, of course, you you follow college football and you've seen the, the the firings and the subsequent hirings. And before we got on the pod today, Devin, we kind of agreed that it was a pretty solid round of hirings, excluding a couple that we're gonna that we're gonna go on these teams pretty hard for. But overall, not a bad class of coaches here. No, not not at all, actually. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's like you know this could turn out. However, there's a lot of unknowns, I guess you could say, but overall, it's not bad hirings at all. Yeah, and so today we're going to be kind of breaking down the the different uh, firings, seeing if they were a good call, the hiring, seeing if they were um, also a good call uh, with this little ranking system that we came up with. So we're going to throw a name out there and uh, we'll say whether it was great, um, whether we thought it was good, but we don't know, bad, but we don't know, not a great hire or we just don't know about the person. Like there, there are some jobs like the South Alabama one where they hired somebody out of the blue. They weren't going to get a big name because it's a small school anyways. And so with those ones, we just got to kind of dust our hands off and say, we'll see because there's not really too much to base our uh, analysis off of. But for the most part, we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty here of, uh, of the teams that we, that we think that did good or bad, depending on uh, their job this off season. Absolutely. So let's get into it, man. All right. So it's obvious that we have to kick this off with the with the biggest job that was open this offseason, and that would be the Auburn Tigers. So in mid-December, they paid a huge buyout to get rid of Coach Gus Malzahn, um, who, you know, they, they won a natty underneath him. They beat Bama three times in his tenure. And there were some really fun Auburn teams, granted, um, Cam Newton was a blessing from God and everything else was <laughs> at best good, but, uh, he's, he's bought out and in succession, Auburn brings in Boise States head coach, Brian Harson. Um, Devin, you want to kick this off with your grade here? Uh, I, I, I give this one an A minus. This is actually a spectacular hire. Um, we're talking about a guy who has now replaced, now replaced Gus Malzahn, not once, but twice. Back in 2012, <laughs> he took over yeah, yeah. Uh, for Malzahn for the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Yeah. Um, and truly, I'm, I'm just I'm just pretty happy for this guy. You know, he was, he was um, born and raised in Boise. Um, you know, I was a QB for them back in the 90s. Got promoted to offensive coordinator and QB coach. Was pretty freaking dominant with Chris Peterson. Uh, and then finally took over his alma mater, guided them to 69 and 19 record over seven seasons, which is just outstanding, really. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I think this is actually a home run hire for Auburn. I hope this one works out. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you here. I, I'm going to give this a my first great of the day. It's it's rare that you see uh, guys from the, guys from the West come out east, especially the Southeast, uh, unless they have some ties back there. But uh, Harson's li- largely been a West Coast guy for his career, and now coming back out east, and I'm I'm really excited for what he can do here. I mean he he um, he kept the ship going at Boise. I wouldn't say that there were any like world beater teams like they were uh, when Chris Peterson was there. But but still, I think a fantastic coach, and it, it seems like there's a lot of buzz around him already with how he's got recruiting going. If there's one thing that he proved at Boise, it's that he can recruit because, I mean, getting players like four, four stars, high three stars, to go play in the middle of uh, Idaho, uh, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier in the middle of Alabama. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. <laughs> and so with Harson leave, leaving Boise, that leaves an opening uh, for the Broncos to – head coaching job. And so that was filled uh, in early January by Andy Avalos, uh, previously defensive coordinator of Oregon. Uh, Devin, how we feel about this one? So this one, I'm going to give a B, but with an A potential. Okay. Um, everything that um, Andy Avalos has done in his career has brought success. I mean, this man has had no shortage of success back even when he was a player at uh, Boise, he's a leading linebacker, 365 tackles, ended with the fourth all-time leading tackler at Boise. And, uh, you know, he he's had a lot of yeah, – okay, I just said that, but he's had a lot of success. I mean, he went to Nebraska <laughs> Kearney, uh, D2 school, went 20-4 and four, um, as an assistant. Uh, you know, he's, he's took over – he took over the Boise D-line, um, which – uh, during his time as the D-line coach, they ranked 11th in sacks. Uh, helps when you have DeMarcus Lawrence. Um, he took over the the linebacking core. Uh, the the team had 31 turnovers. Um, you know, he's coached Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, defensive coordinator from 2016 to 2018. And during those times, I mean, the defense ranked 29th, 38th, and 30th in the country. So, uh you know, let's let's be clear here. This isn't easy, uh, especially coaching that defense. Like you said, there's you know a lot of two to f- low level four star talent, and so you know coaching a defense to to that level is pretty solid. And then he gets hired by Oregon, and he turns a 49th ranked defense in 2018 to a ninth ranked in 2019. Now we're going to exclude this season because it was all kind of jank, but um, I think I think this is a pretty good hire for Boise, especially you know they've had a good track record here with with uh alma maters coaching the school yeah it's one thing that I, I always hold true when it comes to like group of five teams and and even like some high level fcs teams uh for for teams like that it's really important to hire guys that know what they're getting themselves into like uh for anyone that's like maybe like a florida guy getting hired away to boise state He's not going to know how to recruit that area. He's not going to know like the tradition that goes on there. I, I feel like Avalos is a great hire. Um, actually, I'm going to give him like the I think it's good, but we'll see grade here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because he he knows what he's getting himself into. He knows the culture here at Boise, and that's going to really be a plus in in uh, recruiting. Is going to be like, hey, look at what I did here. I know I know what this place is. This is where my heart is, and so that's going to be an obvious plus for them. Um, but, uh, 
traditionally in college, I don't like going with defensive guys for your head coach just because it's so offense driven. So we're going to have to see who, who his uh, staff is, who's going to be calling the plays for him. I, I doubt he's going to be the play caller. And then, um, and seeing where they go from there. I mean, they have a good young quarterback in Hank Bachmeyer to kind of build off right now and maybe uh, steal some games that they shouldn't win early on. But uh, I'm definitely excited to see what he can do here at his alma mater. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, some of these players, like uh, some of the seniors, probably still have some small connection to him, given that he left, you know, 2018, uh, actually heading into 2019. So there's probably a couple players who still, you know, remember when he was around and maybe that helps him uh, as far as the team getting bought in. Absolutely. And so now uh, moving off of the Auburn and the wake of Auburn here, we'll move to the, the other biggest job from this off season, and that will be the Texas Longhorns. And so what a weird, what a weird little stint we had going on here. So Tom Herman wins his bowl game, just beats the, piss out of it of a hapless Colorado team in the Alamo bowl um, went seven and three this past season with losses to Iowa state, a bad TCU team and Oklahoma and um, gets a vote of confidence from his AD. And then the calendar changes and he just forgot all about 2020 second day of the year. I fires him, <laughs> fires him. <laughs> um, Herman's tenure at, at Texas as the head coach included two consecutive years where they lost to Maryland and just couldn't get it rolling in the big 12 of his 18 career losses at Texas, 14 were in conference. That's just brutal, man. When you're Texas playing against the the Texas techs of the world, you can't be losing that often. And so Herman's out. And so Texas opts to roll with uh, Alabama offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Sark, who was uh, who was pretty solid at Washington uh, back in the day, earned himself uh, up to the USC job, which turned out to be a debacle. Uh, struggle with alcoholism and turn kind of turned USC into the disaster it is today. Just kind of set that ball rolling for nothing but misfortune for both for both parties. There mm-hmm. uh, goes goes to Alabama, reinvents himself. This year leads. Uh, by by the numbers and by SP plus the best offense of all time. It, it ended up grading out better than LSU's and it was against an all SEC schedule. So Sark's definitely got the numbers to back it up. But Devin, what do you think about this hire? Do you think that they made the right move going with Sark here? Uh, I want to wait this one out uh, another season. And that's nothing really against Sark. Uh, as far as the hire goes, I'm going to go like with the, with the B minus hire. And really, I'm hoping, and, and truly I am hoping, I, I think this could have like B plus A minus potential here. Um, being with Nick Saban, coordinating with him has proven in the past to be a good thing. Uh, a lot of uh, reinfigurating, learning around someone who obviously knows college football like the back of the hand. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a decent hire. Um but, but the real issue here is Texas itself, uh, as I've expressed to you in the past. Uh, Texas is just a giant machine, and it will continue to funnel man after man into this death trap. And 
Um, you know, Charlie Strong was a great coach before he came to Texas. Tom so was Herman. Tom Herman. Tom Herman was a great coach before he came to Texas, and both of them combined went 48 and 39 since 2014. Um, and really, you know, Strong, even though he admittedly he did not coach very well at Texas. He didn't really have time to bring in all of his guys and develop them. And Agreed. He got the short stick there. He did. He did. And Herman as well. I mean, he, he had one more year of experience and he went seven and three this season. I mean, he never had granted as a Texas program, you shouldn't have these records, but he did never have a losing record. Like he, he never had a losing record as a head coach at Texas. So <clears throat> There's, there's a lot to be said about the Texas, uh, what I call death trap, the boosters uh, and their expectations. It's kind of ludicrous because there's not going to be another Mac Brown unless you hire Mac Brown. Uh, <laughs> they have to get they have to get realistic with themselves and say, hey, you know, first of all, maybe we're not this college football blue blood that we think we are. Maybe we just had a string of you know, a good decade or two. And we need to reinvigorate ourselves here. Let whoever comes next. So I guess Sark, uh, build up a program, give him time and see if it pays off because they haven't done that really with the last two head coaches. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a considerable job, a hard job and one that surely has a lot of stress. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you here. I mean, I, I'm kind of on the fence about how I want to feel about this hire. I've been racking my brain, and essentially what it comes down to is uh, Sarkeesian ran a great offense at Bama that allowed his, his uh, suboptimal quarterback to succeed, but the weapons that he was throwing to makes that shit easy. Like we said preseason before, without even any mention of Sarkeesian, that Mac Jones was a beneficiary of a great set of receivers, an O-line and a running back around him, that he could just be average and they'd win a lot. He played great in that system, which is credit to both him and Sark. And so I'm so torn about if that was Sark's doing or if that is just the Bama machine, like churning out another apparently ready-to-go head coach. And so I'll never be able to, until I see his product independent of Alabama talent and Nick Saban at Texas, it'll be hard for me to say because <laughs> he did not leave a good taste in the, in the mouth of uh, college football fans when he left USC. And so there, there's just a lot to be considered here, but um, the potential is high. But at the end of the day, my, my biggest agreement with you is they should have waited. It should have been another year at Herman and see if he can write the ship one more chance and then, you know, fire him in a year where there isn't a pandemic going on and nothing makes sense. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. All right, so moving on, you, you mentioned uh, our, our our old buddy, uh, Mac, Mac Brown, but this school yeah. that we're going to move on to, I think that their hire was trying to emulate what UNC did in hiring an old coach that that was good and then uh, seeing if he works out. But good is a bit of a stretch here. Let's take it down to Louisiana Monroe, where uh, Terry Bowden was hired, and Rich Rodriguez was hired as the offensive coordinator. 
after Matt Vieter was fired. I mean, with Vieter, we had to see this this fire coming. I mean, he ran ULM into the ground. They were in the they were in the one twenties in both offensive and defensive defensive SP plus. Didn't win a game this season. I mean, and it's not just like, oh man, they didn't win. Bad luck. They got shit housed by UTEP, thirty one to eight by UTEP. Yeah, should have been fired immediately after that game ended. Like their rival Louisiana hung seventy on them. <laughs> like this, this was just the icing on the cake. But like, you could see the writing on the wall before twenty twenty. Vieter had nineteen wins in in the four seasons leading up to this one, and finished with nineteen wins. Yep, and so. Saw this coming. I mean, the, the job's impossible, especially for someone that came in with a low profile like Vieter. So it's, it's, it's tough, man. This is going to ruin his coaching career. But uh, in, in comes a man whose career should have been ruined long ago. Terry Bowden uh, coached Auburn back in, back in the 1990s and had some, good old days. Had some results. Um, and then recently you may remember him winning <laughs> the Mac East at Akron in 2017. If you thought, Oh, why is Akron in this? Cause our boy Terry Bowden was doing it. And then uh, Devin, would you care to explain what he's been doing at Clemson recently? <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I took a gander and uh, in June, 2019, he actually joined the Clemson Tigers staff as an unpaid intern at 62 years old. Uh, in addition to attending the university to receive a graduate degree. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm totally for people getting their education at whatever time they need to. But to get in an intern position for a job that you damn near, not even near, you know how to do, is just such a waste of, a, of an internship. He took the spot of some young guy who probably could have learned a lot from a Clemson Tiger staff that's obviously elite. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This one just makes me mad. It's ridiculous, but what an interesting thing. Yeah, total dickhead move by our boy Terry here. Um, so, so what do you think of the hire? I mean, you think it's good, bad, eh, don't care? Eh, don't care. I mean, he's probably going to retire pretty dang soon within, you know, a couple of years. Um, uh, as I was telling you before, I mean, he's pretty dang dominant at North Alabama. That is also D2. Um, he sucked at Akron. Let's just be <laughs> honest here. Yeah, he had one Mac East, but they still lost in the bowl game that year. Yes, they did. <laughs> and uh, and at Auburn, I mean, come on, this was 1993 to 1998. Um, and and the most notable thing is when they blew a lead to Peyton Manning and <laughs> in Tennessee. <laughs> uh, you know, he was he was 11 and 0 in his first year, um, but other than that, he he produced good records, but it just I don't know. I, I don't really care about this hire. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that goes in Bowden's favor here is that the expectations are on the floor. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't get much worse than, like, arguably the worst team in uh, Division I uh, single A and also didn't win a game last year. 
And so the, he's not left with a horrible roster. I liked Will Monroe's talent coming into this season. I didn't think they were going to, you know, compete for the Sun Belt, but I thought they'd win a game. And I, I think that's more of an indictment on Viator, unfortunately, how he, they, they have talent there and they're in a talent rich area. And uh, Bowden's known for his uh, lack of recruiting prowess. So that could, that could turn things even more sour here at UL Monroe. But the only reason that this is somewhat intriguing to me is because they brought in Rich Rodriguez as their OC. And yeah. as we, as we know, the man can coach offense, coach a whole team, but offense for sure. And so they'll at least be like punchy and fun as long as Rich Rod's here. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, like who cares? This is such an un- uninspired hire. It feels like a bridge. It just feels like a, Hey, make sure we don't go under while we wait for our next head coach. Yep. Pretty much. Oh boy, UL Monroe, just uninspired. Um, let's move on to an uninspired move that I saw, but in the firing instead of the hiring, and that would be the Marshall situation yeah. with Doc Holliday. Um, I was I devastated in early January to learn that uh, Doc Holliday's contract just would not be renewed with uh, Marshall, and so he's he's just out now. Um. And this, it's such a bonkers call because, like, I know Doc isn't a spring chicken anymore, but like, Marshall went to the CUSA championship this year. He hasn't had a losing season in in four or five years. Like, he wins games, and Marshall was a lot of fun this year when Grant Wells wasn't going zero touchdowns, five picks. Um, so. Had to get my little rant out there. Super disappointed in Marshall for letting Doc walk. He was one of my favorite group of five coaches. But I don't hate the hire. They went with uh, former Alabama uh, associate head coach slash running backs coach, uh, Charles Huff. And, um, Devin, how do we feel about this one? How do we feel about our boy, Charlie Huff? I think this is a a B hire. Uh, I I think this is actually – a really good hire with a, with a lot of potential here. I mean, that's, you know, I've, I've said this multiple times already, but it, it's true. I mean, he doesn't have, obviously he doesn't have head coaching experience, but just as Avalos, he's had a lot of success where he's went. I mean, he's been in the big leagues. He's been with the bills. Uh, he, he was at Western Michigan with PJ Fleck. Uh, he was at Penn State and had a huge role in developing uh, and recruiting Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, at Mississippi State, uh, they had a great rushing offense as he was, you know, um, running backs uh, coach. And then uh, with Alabama, you know, you're in good company if you're associate head coach and running back coach to obviously not Harris who is pretty dang good so um you know he's got a really good reputation as a great recruiter and i think that's going to play in his favor being at marshall uh marshall is one of the few schools really in the nation that can recruit off of just being marshall and uh at least one of the fewer you know small schools that can do that and so uh i think i think a lot is working in his uh favor obviously doc holiday has built a pretty good squad already I uh, won't have to worry much about 
you know, picking up any pieces. He's already got something to roll with. So uh, I think this, this could end up turning out really good. You took the words right out of my mouth there at the end there. I mean, Marshall's already set up to win next season just because of the work that Doc Holliday's let or laid down because it's not like he got fired. They just didn't bring him back. So like that, this roster's rolling. I mean, Grant Wells is a freshman going to be a sophomore. And if he wants, he can take that extra year of eligibility because this year technically didn't count. He can be the quarterback of Marshall for the next four years if he really wants to. Yeah. And um, with, with this uh, higher overall, the recruiting was a great point because Marshall's been one of the few teams that's really picked from Florida well as far as the, the CUSA goes. Outside of the actual Florida teams in the CUSA, Marshall's done a fantastic job of getting them to come to the middle of nowhere, West Virginia. And uh, I, I definitely see Huff as a candidate who will keep that, keep that rolling. And I mean, expectations will be high, obviously when he first comes in, I mean, um, imagine firing the guy who's been winning games for you left and right. But um, I, I think he's in a, in a great position to succeed. And I, I think that the ball, the ball will just keep rolling at Marshall. I, I, I like this hire. I'm going to say it's a, a good, but we'll see just because this is his first time. Right. Yep. Totally agree. All right. So we'll keep it in the group of five here. Another team that has traditionally been near the top of the, of the uh, best of the group of five conversation. They slipped a little bit recently. So maybe this is why he decided to jump ship, but Blake Anderson leaves, uh, Arkansas State heads over to Utah State. And so at Utah State, Gary Anderson was a horrible hire from day one. Just what are we doing, guys? (laughs) And so um, he he was a retread hire. He had already been with them once. Uh, He was with my beloved Wisconsin Badgers for a little bit uh, after – a he was successful in his first try, but then was not successful successful in his second try at Utah State, and so they decided to move on and bring in a a shocking hire in my eyes. Like I I see this as a lateral movement, and if not a move down, how do you feel about this hire, Devin? Uh, not bad. Uh, obviously, we know that Blake Anderson has had. Pretty good success at Arkansas State. He's brought stability to a program that before him didn't really have much stability. But um, overall, it's definitely going to be better than Gary Anderson. But uh, agreed. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's not much that you could say that could be. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot that could be better than Gary Anderson. But in actuality, I do think this is a step above Gary Anderson. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I, it's not a bad grade because he's not a bad coach. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? This hire shocked me when I heard it because, like, it's not like Blake Anderson is, like, a, you know, a guy from Utah or the surrounding area and, like, is trying to get back to his home on the West Coast. Like, he's from the state of Arkansas. I, I have to imagine that if he if he couldn't get the Arkansas Razorbacks job, that the Arkansas State was probably his dream job. Like he's fifty one, like I don't see him like climbing the ladder anytime soon, and like using Utah State as his jumping off point for a bigger job. 
I'm I'm floored at this because I think it is a a move down for Anderson. I care less about the school and more about the coach here because they're way outperforming their pay grade here, and it's not like he saw as an opportunity to go win easy in the Mountain West because Harson was gone because he took the Utah State job before Harson took the Auburn job. I I can't make sense of it, man. Like great hire for Utah State. Obviously, they really shot above their or punched above their weight class here, but man, I, I just don't get it for Blake Anderson. Well, there is something that I did uh, pop up upon when I was doing research and that is his wife actually passed away uh, in 2019 oh, right. yes, due I to remember that. breast cancer. And um, he obviously had to take a, take a leave, but um People are citing maybe he just, you know, needed to get away from Arkansas and yeah, change the scenery. To, yeah, going to Utah State was one of the ways to do so. So maybe that's yeah. it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he, he won two Sun Belt championships, and this was before the Sun Belt was what it is now. But still, um, sad to see him go. I, I hope he succeeds at Utah State. I really do. I think it's an A plus hire for Utah State, obviously. Fantastic yeah. coach. Yeah. And so speaking of A plus hires, here's the opposite of that. So in in the wake of Blake Anderson, Arkansas State hires Butch Jones. Take it away, Devin. Let's hear it. Butch Jones, what do you think? <laughs> oh, brick by brick, baby. That's the motto. <laughs> That's the motto. Uh this is an F hire. Uh as F. everybody in the uh, NCAA world knows he single-handedly destroyed a Tennessee program that was already uh, semi-low. So he nuked he, it. He nuked he, it. He nuked it. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, Tennessee fans were probably, you know, still salty about the whole um, um, Lane Kiffin thing still, but once Butch Jones came in and do that, they had a whole other thing to talk about. This, <laughs> this was an awful hire. Um, you know, quote unquote, interning with Saban for a year definitely isn't going to do any favors. Um, Butch Jones is Butch Jones. And at the end of the day, he sucks at coaching. So, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to feel good about this one for sure. <laughs> Um, I mean, he, he parlayed his way into the Tennessee job using Brian Kelly's players at Cincinnati, which just seems unfair. Yeah. Uh, got way too much of a bump for that. And so there's really not too much that needs to be said about this. Like, uh, bad job by you, Arkansas state. This feels like a punt on still being relevant and good. What a bad time to make a good hire. Or what a bad time to make a bad hire as the rest of the Sun Belt is on the ups. And then here they are just like, Oh, I guess we'll hire this guy. He was at Bama, right? (laughs) Yeah. Just pitiful work here by Arkansas state. And so something that you hate to see. Um, So we'll keep it in the Sun Belt here. And this is one of our um, don't really know what to say about this one. Uh, So at South Alabama, they part ways with Steve Campbell and like, you have to, you had to have seen this one coming. He went nine and 26 in his three years at South Alabama. And like, it's hard to win there. It's hard to win. Uh, yeah. That's at South Alabama, fairly new 
team to FBS and fairly overlooked. I don't think a lot of people in the, in the United States would know that South Alabama is a, a highest level of football competition team. And so shout out to all our uh, IU fans that listen. They hired uh, defensive coordinator Kane Womack. Yeah. Um, he, he's the youngest co- head coach in FBS now because uh, he, he's only 33. He's taken over the, the reins after, you know, for, for the meteoric rise that IU has had, I would put like maybe 2% of that on their defense. So maybe going with this guy was a bit of a, a gutsy call. What do you think here, Dev? Uh, I mean, we got to play the cards here, uh, at least the reasons why he was hired. Um, definitely, at least in this season alone, uh, IU stayed relevant primarily because of their defense. Um, Fair. You know, it's one of those that it, it's like, a, a, you know, you don't really know how this one's going to go. It's, it's South Alabama. They're probably not going to be good uh, anytime soon, uh, if at all. And... But but at the end of the day, you know, given this, given him, given this young guy a shot at the job, it, what's really gonna? What's the worst that could happen? I mean, it's like I said, it's South Alabama. Uh, this guy, you know, IU had a really great season this last season. But why not give him a shot? I guess. Yeah, man, call me crazy, but here I am agreeing with you again. Have we disagreed on anything yet? <laughs> <laughs> not yet but like at a place like south alabama like you kind of have to just be like yeah why not just try something out because like obviously yeah. just ex- existing with safe hires is not going to cut it obviously and so obviously i would have gone with something that was a little bit more fun on the offensive end i'd try to get anybody close to jamie chadwell and just see if i can kind of mimic that and maybe even go triple because that's always my uh, my answer when somebody can win games. <laughs> but still, throw it to the young kid, and like, hell, you might strike gold, and it might just be dirt, but there might be gold. So yeah. So the, the biggest point here is like South Alabama has nothing to lose. There's no, there's no history at stake here. There is no like, oh, no, what if we have to go play FCS again? Like nobody's even going to miss them. So like, <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Um, so it's a, it's a fine hire. I mean, it's at least exciting. It's not like a retread or like an old yeah. dude. It's at least exciting. So he's 33 years old. Yes. He's a defensive minded coach, but given that he's 33 years old, he can easily adapt to the offensive game as well. So he must've been damn impressive in those interviews to get a job at 33 too. So I'd, yeah, I, I'd like to think that he's at least like, and I'll, I'll give him a, a nod of approval. That's the best. That's the best I can do for him right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let, let's bump it back up to the uh, power five here. And like, we'll, we'll go with the most hilarious firing. Well, maybe not the most, but up there. Uh, Will Muschamp finding <laughs> his way out of the head coaching job at South Carolina. Um, he managed to wreck a little bit of havoc before he left beating Auburn this season out of nowhere. And essentially setting the wheels in motion for uh, old Gus to get fired. But um, Muschamp should never have been hired at South Carolina. He was not good at Florida. He got fired for a reason. And he went 28 and 30 at South Carolina. Um, 
he had a, a kind of surprising 17 and 22 record in SEC play. Like, I know that's not a winning record, but like South Carolina won 17 SEC games under him. That's not bad. I know they're in the East. They're in the East and that's easier, but like still they're as of recently, I've kind of seen them as a laughing stock. So like, that's, he must've been off to a good start back when he had uh, Jake Bentley. Yeah. But so old Will is out. It's only a matter of time till he probably ends up on Bama as an assistant. And so actually on that, um, he has been linked to Georgia. Uh, oh, ironically, cool. his son is a walk on and him Ooh. and Kirby smart go way back. Uh, yeah. multiple ties, multiple times being on the same teams. Um, so, so that might be in the cards for must champ. Huh. I don't, I don't hate him as like a positional guy or like a coordinator. He's yeah, just not a good head coach. Yeah. It, he's suspected to potentially be a, a positional defensive positional guy. All right. And so uh, South Carolina chooses to bring in Shane Beamer. That last name sounds familiar. You'll, you'll remember a f- legendary Virginia yes. tech head coach, Frank Beamer. And so this was a little confusing to me because it looks like Fuente is not long for Virginia tech. And um, you would have thought that good old Shane would have waited out to, to take on his father's legacy there. So do you think that there's uh, any, any good merit here with the uh, hire by South Carolina and, and how do you grade it? Uh, He's, he's something. Um, you know, Shane doesn't have any, uh, head coaching experience. So this is kind of a shot in the dark type of thing, but they obviously do know him from his time at South Carolina. Um, uh, more importantly though, and you know, assistant and associate head coaches, they're kind of at times looked at as like, eh, but what does he really do? Uh, he was an assistant head coach at Oklahoma until now, uh, which obviously learning with R- Lincoln Riley and coaching the one of the most consistently deadly offenses in college football clearly has something going for it. So, uh, you know, father's legacy, uh, teaching or learning behind one of the one of the great college football head coaches. Why not? You know. Why not? Yeah, th- this would strike me as a why not hire if it wasn't the SEC. Like, I feel like you need yeah a, a bit stronger than like a guy who worked for you ten years ago and was just at Oklahoma and is the son of a of a great former head coach. I feel like they they should have reached a bit more for the stars, especially since Jamie Chadwell was having like one of the greatest group of five seasons just like a couple miles down the road in the same state. Yep. Yep. <laughs> or with like Billy Napier being linked to them, but then uh, I I think turning it down. But still, like there were there were more inspired hires to make here, but but kind of in agreement with what you said. Like he's he's fine. He's he was uh, he learned behind Riley, which kind of makes him like I, I guess Saban's the equivalent of the Mc, of McVeigh in the in the NFL. But Riley's got to be up there. We're like, oh, you you learn behind one of the greatest offensive minds in the game right now. We'll give you a shot. Yeah. So, I mean, yep. I don't know. I'll give this like a, a D plus just off. They get the plus. I'll just off the potential of what it could be. But 
I, I, I'm disappointed by how uninspired it is, given how close Chadwell is to the school. They should have. South Carolina's got money. They should have thrown as much of it as at uh, Chadwell as he wanted. Yeah. All right. Shocking. So uh, we'll we'll remain in the cellar of the SEC here, and uh, go check in on our buddies at Vanderbilt. Hey. Uh, Derek, Derek Mason was. Um, 27 and 55 as the head coach of Vanderbilt loved the hire when they made it. He was a great DC under Shaw at Stanford, but um, this job is built to make you lose and feel bad about yourself. Uh, You'll, you'll never win at Vanderbilt if you don't come in and like implement the triple or something. Mason, (laughs) Mason to his credit, he had those defenses cranking out. They were a problem for opposing teams. Even this year, like, Bama struggled with him for a half. So did Georgia, but then eventually like they, they just out talented them. But um, Mason's issue was he whiffed on every offensive coordinator he hired. And that, that offense just was dog shit for the entirety of his tenure there. And so Mason goes, Oh, and eight this season. Uh, His firing comes after a 41 to zero loss to a rebuilding Missouri team, a, an appropriate nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah. And so Vanderbilt brings in uh, Notre Dame defensive coordinator, Clark Lee, uh, mm-hmm. Devin, you lost your guy. Uh, yeah. He was, he was great at Notre Dame getting Absolutely. those defenses pumping. So um, I'm, I'm very interested to hear how you feel about his uh, takeover here at Vanderbilt, his alma mater. I'm happy about it. And that's what you just said is the exact reason why we're talking about, about a guy that knows the struggles that Vanderbilt's been through. Uh, he knows the the difficulties of recruiting for Vandy and, you know, he's worked in the shadows of a guy like Mike Elko for years uh, before being, you know, uh, promoted to defensive coordinator for Notre Dame uh, once, once Elko left for Texas A&M. So uh, you know, obviously, he was a very successful defensive uh, coordinator at Notre Dame. And, you know, it was really just a matter of time before he got a head coaching job. Was I shocked that it was uh, an SEC school, I, even if it is Vanderbilt? Absolutely. I thought it would be a group of five school. But, hey, props to him for getting uh, getting Clark Lee. Yeah, I, I like this hire as well. Um, I've Okay, I lied. I don't like this hire. Um, I like Clark Lee and I agree that with your point about, he probably should have gone group of five first gotten some chops. But, um, if you, if you're the head coach at Vanderbilt, we've seen it at Ole Miss with, uh, Lane Kiffin hire an offensive genius and just, uh, just accept the fact that you're not going to be great on defense. Cause like at, at this point, that's what you got to do to try to even compete in this league. You, you have to start scoring points. Bama's no longer the like, uh, 300 pound tailback. We're just going to run it up the gut three yards in a cloud of dust. Now Bama's like, we're going to throw for 500 yards on you. You're not stopping that build something that can keep up with that. That's the mold right now in the sec and Vanderbilt chose to zag again when everyone is zigging. And so uh, I don't like that as a defensive hire, but if they had to make a defensive hire, Clark Lee, was obviously the best candidate for it. And so I'll give this one a straight up C just because good hire should be fine. Will end up getting fired because he, he won't score enough points, 
But I'm disappointed in Vanderbilt for not making more of a, an inspired hire when it comes to um, offense. Yeah, I'll give this one the old 79%, you know, that C plus B minus. Uh, yeah, right on the, the verge. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm thinking. Okay, uh, we're going to move on to the two last teams here, and we're going to move quick because I saved these for last because they're the, the least inspired and deserve the least amount of our time. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so first up, we'll, I guess we'll start with Arizona. Uh, so someone you had to figure that he was going to get fired. Um, nine and yep. 15 as the Arizona head coach didn't win a game in this uh, shortened season uh, capped off by a 70 to seven loss to in-state rival, Arizona state. Um, not a lot to say about his tenure. I mean, someone I, I've heard this discussed on various other podcasts, um, situation with black head coaches in college football is you don't know when that next job's going to come. And so when he was let go at uh, A&M, instead of taking some time for himself, building that confidence back up and like getting his, getting his mind right, goes right to Arizona just to ensure that he still has a job. And uh, after this poor performance is likely done being a head coach, which is um, unfortunate. And I wish that wasn't the stigma that was around our, around the sport that we love so much and things are only going to get more depressing as Arizona then chose to hire Jed fish, um, an assistant with the Patriots um, previously, like he was an OC at UCLA during the uh, Rosen era. Yep. Um, literally. I, I, I don't think that I'd heard of him before they made this hire. And I give this an F minus Devin. Go ahead. How do you think? How do you feel? Yeah, pretty much the same exact thing. Uh, you know, Arizona is going to Arizona. They're just not a football school. That's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to continue to be. So, yeah. They're they're aggressively non-football. Like, at least Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky's fun. Kentucky has some good teams sometimes. Yeah, one, time, yeah. one time Duke got to that bowl against Manziel and got their yeah. ass kicked. And, yeah. like... Uh, I don't want to talk about Kansas, but like <laughs> I think every now and then, you know, they get some fight in them, you know, yeah. Kansas, Kansas loses one game in 2007. Like you never know when your time's going to come, but I don't think that time's coming for Arizona, but I mean, they had their shot. They had Scooby, Wright. Those days were the only days with uh, Rich Rod. That, that was their only days to even make themselves relevant. And it just, it didn't, they weren't even that relevant then. Yeah, Arizona, deserve or they deserve to send Khalil Tate a written apology for wasting oh. what was such a great talent oh. with their incompetence. <sighs> so oh. yeah, we, we won't spend long in this one. Jed fish F higher. Come on guys, be better. Just as uninspired as it gets. <laughs> and then we'll wrap it up with our buddies over there in Illinois. Yes. And I was so, waiting for this one. Yep. Here it is. This is this is an extremely Ryan Gregory situation going on. Yes, right it is. This is why I want to get into it. If I was so, the one talking right now, I was literally just going to hand you the keys and say, tell us about him. <laughs> so my beloved Lovey Smith, uh, formerly of the Chicago Bears, brought them to the Super Bowl, um, was fired as the head coach of the Illinois Fighting Illini, 17-39, uh, uh, only won 10 big 10 games in that time went two and five in 2020 
I mean, uh, writing was on the wall, but he recruited pretty well for a prime for an only NFL coach beforehand and at a, at a basement school, as far as uh, oh, yeah. college football goes. Really? I mean, recruiting. he made, he brought him to a bowl in 2019. I mean, they lost, but I, I, I liked the direction that they were going. They were really recruiting Missouri. Well, they, they hit Florida up. They robbed Florida of some good players. They, uh, they had this Epstein kid from IMG that I loved. He was kind of yeah. undersized, but Mike just, yeah, Mike Epstein just r- runs so hard. I, I hated when Wisconsin would play Illinois, obviously, because one of Lovey's Big Ten wins were against my beloved Wisconsin Badgers. <laughs> was that two, two years ago? Yeah. Epstein ran all over them. It was a shit show. So anyways, so with Lovey out, um, they said, hey, Ryan Gregory, we heard that you liked our last <laughs> head coaching hire. Let's try to appeal to your favorite teams again. They bring in Brett Bielema, <laughs> formerly of my aforementioned beloved Wisconsin Badgers, uh, before he <laughs> was such a dickhead <laughs> and told him to kick rocks and went over to Arkansas, where he sucked. <laughs> it was terrible. He was fantastic at Wisconsin, 68 and 24 in his time there, and share uh, the Big Ten championship in 2010, won it in 11 and 12. And then chose to parlay that into the shittiest Arkansas career ever, where he torpedoed them into nothingness. <laughs> so, um, Devin, how do you feel about this one? Um, you know, it's it's conflicting to me because uh, it shouldn't be. Which, well, which which version are they going to get? Which they're not getting Wisconsin. Get? They're not getting Wisconsin, Brett Bielema. But, but look, this team is talented. There's no doubt about it. This Illinois team. There is, is talent actually, there. There is. It is actually talented for once. And I really, 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 really hope that for the one time, actually not the one time, but for one time in recent years in their school history, that they can take advantage of the talent. Now, I, I don't necessarily think this is a great hire at all. No. Uh, as as kind of some of these are, it feels almost like a stopgap. But at the very, very least, he's a good stopgap. At the very least, he's a good stopgap. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, something worth mentioning here is that um, Lovey saw the writing on the walls that he needed to win now in order to not get fired. So he brought in a metric fuck ton of transfers. That team is old. <laughs> in about two years, Bielema is going to be in trouble because he's going to have like 30 kids that are on scholarship. It's going to be a disaster. In two years, there's going to be no depth on Illinois. They're going to be for the next two years, though, they'll be fun. They'll be punchy. They'll probably finish better than, I don't know, Nebraska in the West, but um, See, I mean, he's got experience coaching the Big Ten. Then they're going to bottom out. But Bielema at least knows how to recruit that area. And so yeah, that's my that's my one plus I can give. But at a school like Illinois, it's similar to <laughs> similar to South Alabama. You, you got to make an inspired hire here. You have to go for something that at least makes you go, oh, wow. Yeah, I liked what he did before. Not like <laughs> Brett Bielema, laughingstock of, of Arkansas who spurned Wisconsin. Like, I, I don't know. I, we'll I see. see it from, I see it from the recruiting aspect. 
but from the overall coaching as- aspect, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. And he's going to look good in his first two years because Lovey built him a nice base of players. Anything beyond that is is going to be, uh, I, I think, pretty tough for the old guy. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, it's I, it it probably won't turn out horrible. Um, that's that's a plus for Illinois at the very least. It's not going to turn out horrible. Uh, he's he's going to get them some wins. Um, you know, they're not going to like completely bottom out at all. But uh, overall, they're going to need a new coach again. Yeah, that's that's kind of what makes this hire disappointing. Is like you can already see the end coming, and he hasn't started yet. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, before we get out of here today, that that'll wrap up all of the uh, coaching hires that have happened so far. Um, Tennessee is currently in search of a head coach after uh, parting ways with with their former, whose name escapes me already. Jeez. You know. Help me out, man. Oh, uh, sorry, Jeremy Pruitt. Pruitt, yeah, thank you. Oh my gosh, that was such Pruitt a can do it. Yeah, I, I was thinking Butch Jones, and I was like, no, 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 he already got fired a while ago. Yep. Well, so Pruitt's my sources, out. my sources tell me there's a pretty good coach just uh, southeast of him of, of Tennessee, and there's another good coach just about southwest of them. So, <laughs> do you think they go uh, Napier? I mean, from I don't know. I don't know. Who who is your southeast and southwest here? I mean, Jamie Chadwell and Billy Napier. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that'd be best case scenario. I, I feel like Napier is pre locked in for next season already. Hey, they're they're Le- gonna they're gonna screw it up. They're gonna screw Le- it up. It's just Levi Lewis ca- chose to come back for Louisiana, so Louisiana is gonna win the Sun Belt next year. Yeah, probably. But this is a podcast for another day. Yep. Like most of that roster chose to return. They're going to be fucking unbelievable. Yeah. But um, before we get out of here, uh, Devin had a- approached me before we started the, the pod today. And, and he said, Ryan, you know, I-, I got some things I needed to get off my chest, man, about the college football playoff. And I said, who am I to stay in your way, man? And um, many uh, angrily typed words later, uh, Devin feels prepared to, to speak on this issue. So Devin, I haven't read these words. I haven't heard your stance, but I figure what it is. So I'm just going to give you the floor here, buddy. Um, let's hear what you have to say about the college football playoff. And I will chime in when and if, and when necessary, but for the most part, this is a, this is a safe zone for Devin. Uh, get, get your feelings out there, buddy. All right, so I'm just picturing, you know, walking up on the stage, the the curtains dropping, and I'm, I'm coming up for, you know, mic check one two. But no, uh, look, I'm just gonna get straight to the point, just straight to the point. I'm glad. In its current format, the college football playoff is hurting the sport. There's no simple way around it. It just is. Now Agreed. I can't sit here and deny that back in 2013 that I did not want a playoff. I did. I, I really, really, really did. In fact, you know, I'm sure diehards like you, like me, like our listeners, we all wanted it. We we're all just pissed off with the computer generated formula. And it, it didn't even consider the, be- the actual best team that everybody knew was the best team. If they lost, you know, one game, uh, going into it. So we fast forward to 2021 and 
it's killing the sport. I don't know if I could have seen it back then, but it is. And I'm not sure whether to say I'm shocked because I have to be honest with you. I, I never wanted a four-team playoff. That was never, ever in the cards for me. It was always eight-team or die. Yep. <laughs> and I still do. I still do. I still want it to be eight-team. Now, I understand there's other factors that account for why this is what I'm about to say. But the 2021 College Football Playoff National Championship – was the least watched national championship game of both the college football playoff and the BCS. That goes back to 1998 was the inaugural season of the BCS. Brutal. Mind you, there probably hasn't been a better time for people bored sitting at home because we're all in the middle of a freaking pandemic to watch college football. And it just didn't happen. I mean, the ratings dropped dramatically in 20 this this season, the national championship, it had 18.65 million viewers. Now, if you want to compare that to the second least watched national championship game, which happened in the BCS era, 2004-2005 season, when USC faced Oklahoma, that still had, uh, I think it was roughly 21 million viewers. And if you want to put that in addition to last year, there was 25.58 million viewers. Um, eight, in 18-19, there was 25. In 17-18, there was 28 with UGA and Alabama. There was In 16-17, there was 25. In 15-16, there was 26. And in the inaugural season of the college football playoff, there was 34,000 uh, watchers. And if, if to make things worse, really, the Sugar Bowl this year was more watched than the college football uh, national championship. <laughs> and the Rose Bowl was also more watched than the college football national championship. Jeez. And following them was uh, the Peach Bowl with Georgia and Cincinnati, which also ranked as overall, just in general, lower than what it should be at 8.72 million viewers. Now, I figured that the Iowa State-Oregon game would actually end up being the least watched uh, <laughs> least watched uh, New Year's Six game this year, but I was wrong. It was actually Oklahoma and Florida, which had 5.76 million viewers, which that is, shocking. is actually one of the, um, I think it was fourth lowest fourth lowest of the uh college football playoff era it was roughly wow. somewhere around there. um and with with the numbers literally sitting right here in front of me i can tell you and you can go look this up yourself the college football playoff has decreased the attention to the new year's new year's six bowls Absolutely, 100%. I'm looking at it right now. Most of the New Year's Six Bowls that aren't in the that aren't the CFP are ranging around nine million, eight million, seven million, five million, and that's for the you know top to bottom. Now, the Rose Bowl is the obvious exception. It usually draws the most when it's not part of the the semifinals. 
But other than the Rose Bowl, um, it, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough to see. And when you compare that to back in the BCS days, every single bowl game uh, that was not the BCS National Championship, like, for instance, 2013-14, the Rose Bowl had 18 million viewers. 18.63, that's more. That is more than the National Championship this year. Jeez. And that wasn't even the National Championship game. In the Sugar Bowl, had 60.33 million. That was nearly, you know, two, what, 2,000 lower? Or, sorry, 2 million lower? I'm getting my math all messed up, getting so heated. <laughs> and the Orange <laughs> Fiesta Bowl had 11,000 each. And that's pretty much the same, same thing for most of the years of the BCS. Uh, for the most part, none of the New Year's Six Bowls went below uh, 10 million. So that just goes to show this this terrible. Uh, I don't even know how to say it. It's in its current format. I feel like it is just reaping, just taking the passion out of college football. It's taking the fun, the tradition, the glory. It's like an endless time suck that is consuming a sport that is decaying itself from the inside out, and it's so frustrating to watch because I have been in this shit since I was literally six years old and instead of worrying if you could beat your rival you're now worrying whether or not you're going to make it into the college football playoff that's literally the only thing that's talked about that's all anybody cares about you turn on ESPN what is it what if it has to do with college football it's the CFP and now I get it it's it's you know the final hurrah but there's just something about it that is taking the importance away from everything else. Like back in the BCS days, people were excited for bowl games. People were excited to, to make it into a BCS game that wasn't the national championship. Top tier teams now are, are basically considering it CFP or busts. And if, it, if you don't make the CFP, you basically have no interest in it at all. It's all or nothing. Four teams are nothing. Who could give a shit about some stupid Fiesta Bowl where we didn't make the CFP, right? That's not the college football I know. That's not the one I grew up loving. The one that I kept my eyes literally glued to the screen every New Year's morning, highly anticipating all of the bowl games that were going to kick off, especially the Rose Bowl at 12 p.m. between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. The one where... Teams would wear those New Year's Six Bowls, those BCS games, like a freaking badge of honor. Where the ones that, that the group of five teams would treat like a BCS game in themselves because they knew that if they beat that big dog, that they were going to be the, the, probably the second highest talk of the entire season. Rooting for the underdog, all of this stuff, it's, it's basically feels like it's all gone. And obviously a lot of this has to do with the CFP and it has to do with the fact that, I mean, even the small schools don't even have a chance that they've proven it this year. No school, no small school, no group of five school has a chance. Now I know this is a rant about the CFP itself, but I'm going to transition real quick to the actual bowls. And this is actually going to be my final point. Like, I couldn't even 
thought of more boring matchups for this season. This was the year of the group of five, honestly. The group of five was more existent this year than it has been in many of the past years. And that's just kind of a fact. And Liberty and Coastal was obviously and debatably the best game of the entire college football bowl season. But you can't look me in the eyes and say that an undefeated Coastal Carolina deserved to be playing Liberty. Both of those teams should have been playing Power 5 schools. Both of them. They should have been playing each other. They should have gotten their shot playing Power 5 schools. Liberty did. They did in the season and they won. I mean, they lost to NC State, but barely. And you're just going to sit here and deprive them of even getting the chance to prove that, you know, they were legit. Um, and that goes for BYU as well. 10-1 BYU was stuck playing 6-4 and four UCF, a shell of their former selves. When in reality, they should have been playing against a great Power 5 school. I would argue that BYU was the second most talented team of the group of five. And I don't even know if you consider them group of five. I, I really don't because they're independent. They're basically Notre Dame junior. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget about our beloved Louisiana who beat Iowa state. And instead they get rewarded with a shot at UTSA. They lost to Coastal Carolina, who went undefeated throughout the regular season by a field goal in the last seconds of the game. And you deprive them of a shot at a Power 5 school again, even though they beat Iowa State earlier in the season. It's just it's just an absolute joke. And if something does not change, it's going to continue to be a joke. Ratings are going to plummet. And while I'm very hopeful that we expand either this offseason or the next because apparently commissioners have reportedly told people that they know that this is already an issue and that it should be changed. Uh, unless that happens, I don't see it being a joke. Or I'm going to continue seeing it being a joke. It's just, I get so amped up because I'm just tired and I'm frustrated with the sport that I have loved for my entire life. Uh. <laughs> You can hear the frustration in your voice, buddy. My lungs. Do you feel better? I feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, yeah. But of course I'm in agree with, I'm in agreement with you here. I mean, uh, it, it has kind of taken the fun out of postseason football just for the group, for the group of five before the season even starts, they've made it abundantly clear that they're not getting in. And so that takes the fun out of, out of it for half the nation right away. And then for everybody that comes up just a little bit short of the, of the playoff, how do you get up for the sugar bowl? If, if you didn't make the playoff like that, that's what the season was for. And so it, it just saps the fun out of it for everybody. But you know, the two teams that make it to the natty for everybody else is, is ruining the fun. I'd, I'm in complete agreement with you and there, there has to be better opportunities and more respect for the teams that earn it in the regular season. We can't make, we can't keep making the regular season count for nothing for the group of five teams. That's, uh, that's the greatest atrocity here. 
Those guys play just as hard, beat just as big of teams. Well, not always, but they beat power five teams and they, de- they deserve shots at the same opportunities as their quote unquote, big brothers. 100% agree. And just, I mean, I, I don't know what can fix it at this point. I understand like, for all of the people who are arguing that the same, what, three or four teams are going to be there, I understand what you're saying, but it's the long shot chance of even just making it because you got to realize if you make it into that, those, say, eight teams, that increases your national exposure just overall, obviously. And not to mention that, say, if you were to do what a lot of people are proposing, and this is kind of the best format that I could even find or even think of is, you know, you have the power five winners. They all get a shot. Uh, They're basically automatically bid one group of five, the best one. And then two at large bids. That's literally the best way that I can think of even fixing this because at that point, even though it's a playoff, you're at least somewhat restoring the fact that, you know, these New Year's Six Bulls actually have significance. That's that's all I can really think of. And give everybody in the nation something to, to hope for and strive for instead of just the Power Five guys. Right. I mean, we all know what can happen. Boise State did it. Louisville probably would have done it. Uh, I'm sorry. Cincinnati probably would have done it had Brian Kelly stayed for that last game. Louisville did do it against Florida. Like this isn't something that, Oh, and sorry, of course, our darlings, uh, you know, group of five go UCF. Yep. Uh, the hammer down on uh, twice. They did it twice in two different eras. So it's not like it's something unheard of. It, these teams are legitimately good and they deserve a chance to prove it. It's just yeah, crap. Yep. Couldn't agree more, buddy. What a note to end the pod on. Just college football is broken and nothing matters. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Well, uh, and on that note, um, well, thank you all for listening to the Triple Option Pass podcast. This has been Ryan Gregory and Devin Voss. Oh, boy. Voice crack on your name. I apologize. Devin Voss. Uh, any closing words for the people, buddy? No, I pretty much uh, – that pretty much sums everything up. Uh, had He's a great exhausted. time doing this podcast. Yeah. Exhausted. Uh, had a good time doing this podcast, though. I mean, got a lot of good stuff in about the uh, head coaching hires around, around the NCAA and uh, got to let out my frustration, so – um, I had a great time, man. Yeah, you know I did too, buddy. And so, best of luck to all the uh, hires that were made that were made in this uh, cycle. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, you, Bush Jones.